Morena, Tefana. Um, we're continuing our series on a warrant of fitness. And um, for those of you who are car challenged like me, we are talking about tires. And that's where they are. <laughs> um, who, who knows what the importance is of tires? They go around. You can't do without them, yep. They grip the road. Direction and steering. Everything's riding on your tires, Chris. That's awesome. <laughs> they make great tires. Society. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Um, it's interesting because I, I am a bit car challenged. My, my dad wasn't in the cars. I wasn't in the cars. So... Uh, which is not, which is quite unusual for Italian. We, we Italians quite pride themselves on knowing their cars. I have not a clue, and I rely a lot on Monica, who knows the car better than I do, far better than I do. But I went to my local mechanic this past week, and I asked him. I said, "Tell me what's so important about tires." And he said, "Oh, well, there's a whole bunch of things. They carry the load, the you know direction, you know balance, the whole thing." But he said something that I found quite interesting. He said, "It is absolutely essential that you've got tires on your car." And I said, okay, cool, why? And they said, you know, your motor could go. You could have no engine. But you could, if you don't have tires, you're not going to get anywhere. With a piece of rope, you could hit yourself onto the back of somebody, and they could wheel you anywhere. And I said, well, what if you get rid of the tires? He goes, have you ever seen a car without tires? Not only do, I, do they do a lot of damage to the car itself, but they do a lot of damage everywhere, and they don't get very far. So tires are essential. He said they are the foundation of a car. I was like, wow, all in a bit of rubber. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And I thought, oh, well, hang on a sec. What, what is our foundation? When it comes to doing a warrant of fitness, not on our cars, but on ourselves, what are our tires? What keeps us gripped to the road? What keeps us going? What holds up the load? What keeps those wheels going? It's a really interesting question, right? What, what is it? And I know the, the pet answer everyone's going to give me if I ask the question, they're going to say, Jesus. Yeah, obviously, Jesus is the answer to everything. But we're going to get a little bit specific. So I'm going to take a detour for a moment, and I'm going to ask you this question. What is the scariest thing in the world for you? This I want to hear. Tire exploding? <laughs> Hydroplaning. 
Yeah, what, what, what's the scariest thing? Come on, share me. What's that? A mouse. Isabella's sick this morning, but spiders for her. Like, literally, she won't sleep in her bedroom if there is a spider. Little daddy long legs, that's it. She comes out screaming. Somebody slashing your tires. Oh, yeah, scary. Come on, what else? Is a mouse? Running? Running out of petrol? Well, what's scary for you? Forget about the car. What's the scariest thing for you? Losing a loved one. Thank you. Flooding. Oh, yeah, definitely. Earthquake? Oh. Disability being alone? There's some really scary things out there, right? Clowns? Sorry. There are some really scary... You know what the scariest thing for me is at this very moment? The scariest thing in the world for me right now is an angry Christian. <laughs> Not many people laughing there, right? <laughs> oh. It's interesting, the last three years has really brought out maybe not the best in all of us. At a time in which we could have really rallied together, we split and divided. And what I've noticed, even in myself, is anger, it feels like it's simmering. Like we get really angry at little things now. I have to keep myself in check because I'm getting angry about, you know, really mundane things. And to be honest, an angry Christian is actually a scary proposition. You guys might not get it much. I do. And I've gotten it a lot lately. Well, I just don't think me, but when I read a bit around what, what we're doing, how we're responding, and that makes me think that actually this is really a good time for us to be doing this warrant of fitness for all of us. Because I think, as Christians, maybe we've lost a little bit of our self-awareness in how we're responding to things and why. And in part, I think it's because we don't actually know what our tires are. We haven't checked the weight and balance of them, the, uh, I don't know, the tire pressures and stuff. I'm talking really off the top of my head here because I have no idea how to look after a tire. It's like, Monica, what do I do? So I'm going to take you on this little journey about what is a tire for you and me and how do we monitor it and look after it. Cool? It starts with you. You, you, you. Jesus came for one reason and one reason only, you. When you read the greatest sermon ever written, Sermon on the Mount, it's not about the world it's not about what's going on around. It's not about policies, politics. It's got nothing to do with it. It's all about you, me, us. It's deeply personal. And Jesus came at a time when, you know, if we think the world is bad today, let me tell you, the world back then was far, far more horrible than today. I don't think we realize the safety measures that we've got in place today, the, the awareness of right and wrong is actually quite high as much as we think it's not. Back then, the Roman world, the Greek world, you want to talk about debauchery? It was pretty horrible. Slavery was horrible. 
ethics was totally off, this, off the scale. The Romans, before they even built the Colosseum, they had little arenas. And you know what the lunchtime uh, matinee show was? People would go with their lunches to these little amphitheaters and watch people get executed. And it wasn't just a simple execution. It required crowd participation. And they would take their kids to these things. They would see these great processions of their generals with slaves that were dragged along the road and the kids would be waving and cheering. Imagine growing up in a world like that. When we think sex is out of control today, let me tell you back then, one thing that Pompeii has really exposed is how prevalent sex was back then. It was a horrible world. And what does Jesus say anything about the Roman world? What does he say anything about the Greek world? Nothing. Nothing at all. The one time they tried to trap him with the coin. Hey, this has got, uh, you got to, you know, do we have to give to Caesar? And he's like, well, who's got it on the coin? It's Caesar, we'll give it to him. It's his. They're trying to trap him with political, you know, issues. And he's just got none of it. You don't want him to deal with it. He is worried about you about us. And in this great Sermon on the Mount, he unpacks it all. Where are you at? What are you thinking? How have you built your lives? Don't worry about what others are doing. I'm worried about you. Where are you at? And he ends, the great sermon, he ends with four warnings. And these four warnings are amazing. They really just kind of punch home the full message of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, it really lays the foundation for everything he says after that. It's fascinating. The first one comes in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. He says, Even though the narrow, enter through the uh, narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I think this is, again, one of those verses that gets so misquoted. A particular bishop in Auckland used this about the anti-vaxxing, that we as Christians need to take the narrow road. Um, I just kind of wonder what his theology really is all about. Because that's not what he's talking about here, Jesus. When you think of what he said leading up to this verse, all the things that he's laid out, Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. If you want to save your life, you must lose it. Do good to others who spite you. Forgive 70 times 7. You cannot love God and money. The first will be last, the last will be first. Carry your cross. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's the narrow road. He's been saying this all the way up to chapter 7. That's the narrow road. That's why it's actually narrow. Because it's actually wide for us to walk down and really explode on people. It's really wide for us to not turn the other cheek and slap twice as hard back. It's really wide for us not to forgive because that is what the world does. So when he challenges us to take the narrow road, he's not talking about piety or rules and regulations or the way we dress. He's talking about a way of living that is actually 
believe it or not, very difficult. That's why it's narrow. You've got to have some good tires to go down that road. Because if our tires are a little flat, we can easily navigate a wide road. This is what he's talking about. In Mark chapter 10, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Everyone remember last week's word? Doulos? There it is. You must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, I'm showing you how to live. This is how I want you to live. That's the first warning. Guys, the narrow road isn't about where you sit and tie and go to church every Sunday. The narrow road is actually, how do I live out this faith, this being a Jesus follower? And it's really easy to take a U-turn onto the wide road because our natural reactions, even in difficult times like this, is to go there. It's a lot harder. In the US, I used to work, uh, this was back when we were first married, we lived in Northern Virginia, which was just outside of Washington, D.C., and I, I used to work at Dulles International Airport. That's the main international airport of Washington, D.C. It's a huge airport, the size of most, probably most of Lower Hutt, just to let you know how big that is. And I did quite a few different shifts, and in the wintertime, it was particularly interesting trying to get home because the main highway going home uh, would be uh, not well driven after 1 a.m., and ice would form on the road, and this black ice would, would form. And you could tell when people were worried because everyone really slowed down and were really intentional about taking curves. And I knew I couldn't go at my normal 55 miles an hour, that I had to drop down to 20 to 25, because I knew that if I tried to go too fast, I'm off the edge. And it's kind of like this. When we're in these situations like we're in now, Staying on the narrow means we need to slow down, focus, keep attentive, and make sure those tires are well looked after. Jesus is saying here, guys, the narrow road's a tough one. It's a hard one. And it's actually all about changing inside of you, not what you show on the outside. The second warning he pulls out as he continues in this passage, going on from verses 15 to 20, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. And he goes on to explain what he means by fruit. Now, when we read this, we usually start talking about other people. The wolves we talk about in sheep's clothing. Oh, yeah, we, we know of those wolves in sheep's but, but Jesus here is not talking about them. He's actually talking about us. He's warning us to be aware of wolves in sheep's clothes. Don't, don't worry about who you identify as the wolves in sheep's clothes. Just be aware, you, yourself. It's your responsibility. Be aware. You'll know them by your fruit. And unfortunately for us today, fruit is, well, big numbers, because that's a blessing. Big church, because that's a blessing. But that's not the fruit. 
The result is never the fruit. Can I just say that really clearly? And one way you can identify a wolf is when they say this. If you ever hear me or see me do stuff that is questionable, kick my backside. Because it never justifies the ends. But we Christians fall into this trap. Because we think the ends are the fruit. The means is all what's important. Jesus could have easily just walked away. said, you guys know I'm going to die on the cross. I don't have to do it. I don't have to live out this whole life. He could have died in Bethlehem when they were killing the babies. And that still would have qualified as a death that was needed. Yet he chose the means to live out his life with his people, to show them, to walk beside them, to suffer, cry, anguish, frustration, all those things that we so experience sometimes even on a daily basis. The means. But it's our call. He's not talking about these wolves. He's talking about us. We need to be aware of the wolf in sheep's clothing. There's a great article just a, two, three weeks ago I was reading on the Christian Post, and it was a church in Northern Virginia. The pastor was caught in a police sting um, soliciting prostitutes, which is illegal in the state of Virginia. And not only was he soliciting prostitutes, he was soliciting underage prostitutes. And so he was arrested, and the church went into a meltdown. That's our part, and there's no way he could have ever done that. That's so, no, the, the police are, are singling us out, and there was this whole thing. It was a large church, 2,000 odd people. No, no, our pastor would never do that. And, and the elders got around him, and, you know, there was, and then it went to court. And at court just a few weeks ago, they heard the tapes of him talking. And they realized, oh, it's real. And the author of the article wasn't trying to point out the pastor's sin or anything, but he was trying to point out a very important point. Where are the discerners amongst you? You can all tell me when the world ends. You can all tell me what politicians right or wrong, but you can't even see the sin that is amongst you. Where are the prophets in your place? Quick to prophesize doom on everything else, but they can't see the very things that are happening in front of them. His question wasn't about the sin. His question is, how are we missing this? How are we living in sin so secretly and no one can tell? That's not how church works. I thought it was a very good point. It was a good balanced point. So the first warning Hey. Second warning. Hey. Hey. It's awesome. The third. <laughs> the third warning is this. Matthew chapter 21 goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does my, the will of my Father 
who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He's warning us that the end result, again, is not what we look at. The means cannot justify the ends. If there's something wrong there, we need to challenge it. And there are people who are taken by the results because we are a results-driven society. And if the results are positive, then who cares how we got there? We got there. Actually, we do care. Famous incident back in the 80s, Mike Wonky. Anyone remember Mike Wonky? Sold millions. He was a comedian first, but then he came out with this um, satanic ritual abuse, and he wrote a book on it, and the book sold millions, that there were these underground satanic covens who were targeting Christians, and he was part of it, and he was abused by them, and it sold millions. And for years, he was going around, he came to New Zealand as well, going around selling this story, and people believed him, and thousands came to Christ through it. And some of them even came up forward and said, yeah, yeah, I've been part of SRA. I was in that. It was all a lie. It was all a fabrication. It was all nonsense. And we fell for it. And sure, maybe some people from that who came to the Lord, truly came to the Lord. But we wonder why so many of these large-scale events bring so many people to Christ, and yet our churches don't seem to grow. Our churches don't seem to grow. The reason why he's pointing these out is because our tires aren't doing well. We're not being looking after our tires. That's why these people are doing what they're doing. He gives us the last warning from verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundations are on the rock. It's not the best of verses, honestly, to be preaching on this week with all that's going on. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against it, and that house fell with a great crash. What he's talking about is where are your foundations. Let's put aside the whole house analogy for the moment and think about you as a person. Where is your foundation? What is it planted on? Psalm 1 sums it all up for us. It tells us the tires. It tells us how to look after them. And it tells them how to keep them inflated. So these four warnings will never be a problem for us. It says this in Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. The first three passages of the biggest book on worship to God tells us 
to be founding ourselves to meditate on his word. Anyone know what meditating on his word means? What does that mean? What does that even look like? The, the word for meditate in Hebrew, and I can't remember it now, but it's the same word for moaning, for grappling. It's a funny word. It's the same word as moan. So when it could have been, and he who moans on his, on his Lord day and night. He's not asking us to memorize. He's not asking us to study. He's asking us to meditate. Let it sit with you. There are people that will teach it for you. There will be people that will provide you with the word written in any language you want today. What he's asking us is to meditate on it. Monica taught me driving when my tires are low. Because when we first got married, I didn't know whether the tires were low or not. And apparently at one point they were so low that she couldn't believe that I'd get out in the car and not notice the difference. So it was like taking me by the ear and trying to sit in the car, feel the car. Do you feel it wobbly? Oh, yeah, yeah, I actually do feel it wobbly. Try turning. Oh, yeah, it's actually not turning right, is it? She goes, let it go. Take your hands off the steering wheel and the car just went, you know. And she goes, let's go fill up the tires. Filled up the tires and she goes, how's that feel? Oh, man, that feels really, really good. Really? She goes, yeah, yeah, turn. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be, huh? She goes, yeah. And I said, the tires did all of that? And she's like, yeah. You got it, Rob? I got it. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you about reading God's word. If you find yourself floating around, if you find yourself kind of going a little bit like that in your life, if you find a little bit of anger boiling up in you, if you find yourself maybe just a bit overwhelmed with everything's going on, you're kind of leaning to one side. The turns don't seem to happen so well in your life. Maybe you need to spend a little bit more time meditating on his word. Because that will fill your tires up. You don't have to memorize, just need to meditate. And some of us get into these patterns, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a a year. That's great stuff. I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. I would rather you spend time meditating on it. Let it sit with you. Let it fill your soul. Let God enter you. Let his spirit warm you with his words. Let him fill your tires with air so that hopefully the wobbliness can straighten it back up again. Every week I'm giving you a challenge. Last week, if you missed it, I gave you the challenge of doing that self-evaluation. There's more of them out the back there if you didn't grab one or you hadn't gotten it in the email. Today the challenge is this. I want you to spend five days in a row, just five days in a row, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever you can do. Open up a book in the Bible and sit on it. Before you go to work, Just open it up, find a book that you want to read, and just meditate on it. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to teach you some prayer techniques. One of them is Lectio Divina. It's just allowing God's word over and over, just filling you. 
do that, just five days in a row. That's all I ask. Five to ten minutes of your day. Five days in a row. Pick a book and just do it. Let God's word meditate in you. And if you want to go further, go for it. I don't want to give you an, an impossible task. I think we can all do five days in a row. And if you miss a day, don't worry. It's not about rules here. It's just trying to get us back in to filling our tires up, getting ourselves founded again, better grip on the road, and allowing God's word to fill us. Amen? Can we do that? Cool? What do you think, Naomi? She's under the chair, I think. I even put her to sleep. She's like, what is going on now? He's talking to me. <laughs> I'm going to ask our music team to come up. Um, this whole Warren of Fitness is actually about you. Uh, and, and me, I'm part of that you, so don't, I'm not just pointing to you guys, it's all of us. It's about kind of examining ourselves where we're at. Last week we saw the VIN number. We're challenged by what it means to be a slave to Christ. Today we're challenged by what it means to actually have a foundation based on his word. The tires. For some of us, I think we've been going along with flat tires and we're wondering why we're just not getting a good grip on life. Take the challenge this week and, and share that challenge. Don't do it alone. Share it with someone you can trust. Share it with someone you can trust. Father God, I just ask that you continue to challenge us, Lord, as we grow in you. For as much as we like to be doers and do all that's around us, Lord, you're keenly interested in us, in who we are in you, in growing deeper in you, because ultimately, Lord, it's about our relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord, that we sometimes don't have time for you. And, 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 and forgive us, Lord, that at times we may even misrepresent you where our own anger and frustrations, our own sin overtake us, Lord. But help us, Father. Holy Spirit, help us to meditate on your word. As someone says, Lord, that we may be like trees planted by spring waters. And for those of us who have been struggling with flat tires, help us, bless them, Lord. And may your word fill them again, renew them, Father, in Jesus' name.